Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Tracy's son, co-founder and SVP of Seller Experience at fashion resale platform Poshmark. As noted on its most recent earnings call, Poshmark is well-positioned in terms of today's consumer habits at the intersection of online, social, and sustainable shopping. I wanted to ask Tracy how the company has leaned into its prime positioning since the start of the pandemic and what's changed for Poshmark since going public early last year. Welcome, Tracy. Hi, Jill. I'm so happy to be here. So happy to talk to you again. Um, your your role, it's so interesting to me, um, SVP of seller experience. And I just, I don't know if that was always your role since co-founding the company in 2011, because I know that the competition for the seller and and really winning them over, that that's a big, it's a big thing right now. There's lots of competition in that space. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell me about that. What Was that always your focus? Okay. Well, first of all, the the specific title I have, which is uh, overseeing our seller experience, it, it's it's fairly new. I've had it for about a year, so that has changed. But what has not changed? Because I I have now been working on various aspects of Poshmark for over ten years, which is such a long period of time, <laughs> especially in in today's day and age where people are moving around a bit more. But one of the reasons, um, one of one of the the common thread throughout my time at Poshmark is I have moved around in the business and focused on different areas, wearing lots of different hats, but they've always been about trying to bring innovation to our customer. It's one of my, it's one of the things, there's a lot of things I don't do well, but one of the things I do very well is really listen to our customer, have deep amounts of empathy. I care a heck of a lot about their success. And so um, I've, I've helped our customers in many different ways. And today it's overseeing the, the seller experience, which is really a world where, you know, we, we are bigger now than we've ever been, but now's the time you alluded to this, Jill, where we have to continue innovating to help our customer. And so that's the core, a core part of what I do in my day-to-day job. Got it. Well, let's circle back to the founding of the company, 2011. What was the resale space like? <laughs> uh, for those of you listening that can take your, yourself back to 2011, I, I'll, I'll help you. Uh, the iPhone 4 had just come out. Um, <laughs> Instagram had just launched. The word selfie didn't exist yet. We didn't yet fully embrace taking photos of ourselves um, and looking at photos on our phone. Uh, that was the, the, the technology landscape. The re- resale landscape has has been quite strong, but it was really, it took the form of consignment shops and thrift stores in uh, bigger cities and, uh, and eBay, which is kind of like a, a resale for everything uh, type, of, type of online store. Uh, there wasn't a place for people to participate, everyday people to participate in the full process of resale. You could go to your local thrift store or Goodwill and drop your clothes off if you wanted to clean out your closet, but there weren't really many more options other than that. And that that's the context of launching Poshmark. So how did you kind of win over the fashion consumer or the fashion seller, I would say? Like you don't want to shop on eBay. You want to shop here or you want to sell, excuse me, you want to sell here. Um, did it take a lot of education in terms of, um, well, maybe just showing them the experience you're offering? Anyway, what was the the play there? 
Our perspective in starting the company maintains to our perspective today is this really strong belief that people are really capable of doing more than they can do today if people, others believe in them, they have support, and they have tools to help them thrive. And so this, this belief that people are powerful, uh, they are good and want to help each other, and they just want more control and support in their life. They want to be empowered. That's the underpinning of Poshmark, which, which makes us so different from many of the other marketplaces that might be out there, or other resale options. We don't do things for you. We do things to enable you. And we try to give you most of that money back. So uh, we're not a place to help you clean out your closet. We're a place to, to give you tools to help run your your business, whether it's $20, $200 or $2 million a year, it doesn't matter. Whatever business you want to run, whatever kind of merchandise you have in your closet, we want to make a place for you on Poshmark and enable you to thrive. That's what we went out with uh, way back when we launched the company is you can do it. You don't need inventory because you can use your closet. You don't need um, a past fashion background. You don't need to know how to merchandise you don't need to know how to do online marketing because this platform is going to help you. We will do the online marketing for you. You need to figure out how to tell your story and give it that kind of merchandising edge rather than traditional merchandising, which is forecasting trends. We think that all trends are relevant and you just have to tell your story. So that really bottoms up approach is where we started the business and it's still where we are today. I love it. So what do you know about your seller? Is, is there a certain age demo, a certain, um, yeah, type, a certain style? Well, <laughs> we know a lot about our sellers. Um, and the first thing is they're incredibly diverse. If we just talk about our U.S. population, we have poshers in 98% of the U.S. zip codes. So it's pretty much Every city and every small town in America has a posher. And so by definition, who's using Poshmark to buy and sell is incredibly diverse. Um, we have, we do skew a little bit younger. So uh, Gen, Gen Z, Gen Y, we have a, a strong uh, participation from the younger generations, probably because we're so uh, tech heavy and we're a social uh, marketplace. So a lot of the fun and engagement and honestly, the way you drive sales on Poshmark is really with inter interacting with one another online. So it does skew a little bit younger, uh, not to say we don't have uh, people my age and, and older <laughs> on Poshmark as well. Um, and then in terms of what types of merchandise, you know, that's one of the learnings I had when I, when I really kind of leaned into to Poshmark, I came to this company, to founding this company by way of traditional fashion industry merchandising. I used to be a more traditional merchant and my brain wanted to curate an experience for our shoppers. That's just what we do when we're in a brand or creating a brand or cre uh, creating a merchandise assortment. And what I really learned is that when you do that you create a really good experience for one type of person, but then you alienate everybody else. And so what we've, we've really focused on Poshmark is we think curation is important, but we don't presume to know what's best for you. 
And we want to create a place where everybody's style can thrive and have a place. So we let our sellers and our community dictate what they want to see using technology and data to give them the best curated, curated experience for them. So we don't, we want to, we want to create a place that's for everybody. We don't want to say we're only luxury or only boho or only vintage. We try to make a platform where everyone's style can thrive. Nice. It makes for some fun shopping if you can find more styles, more things, I would say. I, I remember we had, um, you keep saying the word community. Um, and back in the day, I don't know when this was, we had um, this, your CMO, Stephen Tristan Young, he, who spoke at one of our events and was really, I think the, the session was focused on your IRL community events, which I'm sure have been paused or maybe paused for a short while during the pandemic. But is that a big a big initiative for you guys? Is that really important to bring this community together um, and not just be able to communicate online, but also face-to-face? Absolutely. And, and I'll be really honest with you, going through this pandemic and not being able to have our events was very, very difficult for us. We rely so much on them that not having them, we, uh, we missed it. We missed it from a business and strategic perspective because what happens in an event is, you know, people come and they, they come to have a good time. They come to make friends to learn from one another, to be inspired by other people's stories, uh, and to just like get tips and tricks, but also just connect, right? And what's been really great about these events is oftentimes people look to the company for help. Like Poshmark, help, I wanna, I wanna increase my sales next year, give me some tips, or what can I do better? And what we do with these events is we say, these are really legitimate questions. There are people all around you that have the same questions, but there are also people all around you that have the answers because they've done it before. So a lot of our events are about recognizing that, helping our customers recognize that you are not unique in having these questions, but also creating a safe place where you can lean on that person right next to you for help. And what that does is it forms bonds, like real human bonds between people. And then when they go back to the app and they go back to running their store, they now have more people that they can lean on. So it's almost like a, a support network in a way, right? And so that's what that's part of what I mean by community. When these events were paused, uh, our sellers lost a lot of those touch points and we lost that touch point. So I think that not having those events, it really put some distance between us and our sellers and our sellers from each other. And I do feel that that, that I do feel that loss a bit. So we're very excited to return to our in-person events and get back on track and creating those connections. Awesome. Uh, where are these, where do these take place? How often? And, and what's the setup, I guess? Is it um, around maybe different workshops or different speaker sessions? What happens there? Yes, we have a lot of different types of events from our annual two-day seller conference called Poshfest, which is happening this September in Houston. Um, we have that every year. We also have uh, about monthly what we call Posh Party Lives, where we have a team that goes out and uh, brings large uh, volumes of people together to, to come celebrate one another and, and make meaningful connections. And then what we've done is we, because, you know, we can we can only throw so many events. Uh, it's just not possible for us to get out there more often. But what we noticed is that 
our community members who came to our events would say, hey, I can throw events too. Because remember I said we're in 98% of US zip codes. We can't get all to ni- get out to 98% of them, but our seller community can. And so they said, we can throw our own events. Like if you help inspire me and teach me what the format is, uh, I can host um, a group of uh, like a, a meetup at my local coffee shop or at my local like bar, we can get together and we can do this locally. So when you ask like, how many times do you guys get out there? We get out there like maybe, you know, a dozen times a year, but we have thousands of events being thrown um, every year, mostly hosted by some of our most enterprising sellers. And uh, and the, the format's always generally the same. It's about human connection. It's about leaning on each other for support, for tips, for learnings, uh, experimentation, um, passing learnings on, et cetera. It's kind of like a networking event in a way. Yep. And well, and just how, as you were forced kind of away from your IRL events, you mentioned um, 2011, it was all about physical consignment resale stores. Um, But talk to me about the, the impact of the last two and a half years when everything's gone online. So even those consignment stores have found a way to sell online. Even um, some like the rebags of the world who focused on one category have expanded to include clothing. And anyway, everyone's crowding your space. <laughs> have you felt it? What, what's been the impact? Well, so even before the pandemic, there were some major changes going on in the industry. And what we're finding is the pandemic has accelerated those trends, but also added new ones. So what am I talking about? So pre-pandemic, there was a shift to online. And, and this is this is still happening. We're seeing people, they love their stores, but they also want the convenience of shopping online right from their homes. There's a shift to social. The, the idea that you just shop one brand and you have loyalty to one brand no, you want to be online. You want it, you want recommendations from your friends. You want to, um, people are craving this interaction and, and getting a lot of inspiration from, from social media. So that is accelerating. And the third that I'm just personally really excited about is this shift to sustainability. Um, when, when, I was, when I was younger, I, I would hear people passionate about taking care of the planet and being responsible, but no one no one actually did anything about it. They would say it, but they wouldn't vote with their dollars. And what I think is so fantastic right now is people are actually voting with their dollars because they really care and they're genuine and authentic about their increasing passion for making responsible decisions with spending their hard-earned money. And, and they're, they're, they're um, integrating those values into, into their shopping habits but I, I, I think the thing that's just crazy, you know, since the pandemic is this fourth thing, which I'm still kind of wrapping my head around, which is you almost can't predict anything anymore. The, and and this, this is really important for us because we have so many sellers, different types of sellers out there as we went from what we thought was normal to, okay, now everyone's shut down, locked down. Uh, home goods skyrocket, jewelry skyrockets, um, sweatpants skyrocket as uh, demand for those items go completely bonkers. And then a year later, all of that falls and we're now buying 
office, you know, attire and we're going to go out, but then we shut down again. So what's happening is this uh, volatility is almost this new, uh, new norm now. And uh, I think at least until things stabilize, we are observing and just really trying to stay flexible and nimble. And we're trying to help our sellers also embrace that just because it's the way it's been doesn't mean it'll always be that way going forward. Has your experience been what I, talking to folks, is what I'm hearing where throughout the last two years, like there was almost a rush to sell. Like people were cleaning out their closets and they wanted to make some extra money as, as times got weird and tough and all of that. Then there was, you know, people are tightening their purse strings and they're, they would rather buy something on resale that's maybe more affordable. Now I'm hearing, you know, people that maybe wanted to save money by going to resale, um, that maybe they're not shopping at all, but who is shopping are people who maybe are more of a, a luxury shopper or somebody who is used to shopping. Again, somebody is, I guess, saving money in whatever they're doing and they're they're ending up on resale, a new demo. What, what's been your experience? Uh, my experience has been that we, we have seen a surge of demand on both the supply and demand side. So I validate what you're saying. We did see a lot of people who tried resale for the first time during the pandemic. We saw um, some people blossom because they were at home and they used that time at home to really... Um, use Poshmark as a way to help them transition in this crazy time where a lot of people lost their jobs, right? So we did see people uh, who are economically enabled by reselling on Poshmark. Um, We did see shifts in um, luxury goods and how people want to to shop for uh, luxury goods. And, uh, And we are seeing some, you know, the thing about resale is we are uh, quite recession proof because in good times, resale is a great uh, option, particularly if you're sustainably minded. And in uh, uncertain times, we're also we also support a, a a type of shopping that makes you feel like you can get your um, your core shopping done, and you're still quite you're being quite responsible with with your budget. So uh, we are seeing all those trends and. Like I said, there's a lot of volatility out there. And so these are the times where I'm very happy we built a flexible platform that enables people to use Poshmark in whatever way their life supports their lifestyle at that moment. Um, We do have a very flexible system that can support different types of needs. Well, talk to me about your relationship, if any, with brands, because I know that there was, for them, the big inventory problem. And I think that some of them have looked for, I know some of them have looked for support in resale um, to both, yeah, purge of inventory and and make some, keep the cash flow going. Yes, that's absolutely the case. We've been talking to a lot of brands and, and we have a lot of larger sellers on Poshmark that are finding liquidity for their um, for their excess inventory here. Because the thing about Poshmark shoppers, Poshmark shoppers love deals. Really, I mean, who doesn't love a deal, right? But <laughs> but uh, we are known for places where not only can you get a deal, but you have agency in getting that deal. So there you could, as a you know normal e-commerce or commerce, you can wait for a sale to happen. At Poshmark, what our shoppers love is you can ask for, you negotiate. So you can say, hey, I know you price it at that price, but 
give it to me for $10 off or whatever. And it's a fun way to get deals on Poshmark. So we have engaged with um, larger companies that have more outlet type inventory. And then we've also engaged with, with many brands as well who are really curious about our social marketplace. And there I would say that, yes, it's the outlet inventory, but what's really exciting for like brand um brands on Poshmark is they realize that um, we have such a large community of buyers and sellers. They're on Poshmark for 25 minutes a day um, and they're hyper-engaged, right? They're coming, they're, 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 they're opening Poshmark multiple times a day. And oftentimes a brand has more followers on Poshmark than they have on their own social channels. And that just like, that is just bonkers. And we own the transaction. So we can help people find a brand that they love. We can help people find a brand related to a brand they love. So it's this really rich, not just social, but social commerce system that um, brands are really, really curious about how they can get involved with basically where their customer is today. Oh my gosh. Well, that's amazing. Well, maybe that answers... I don't know, a, a, a problem or not a problem. Anyway, maybe this is your answer to like a resale as a service solution. I was going to ask if you have that kind of interest in that B2B arm that some of your competitors are doing. Yeah, so it's, I, I love the resale as a service concept because resale in my mind needs to be at the forefront of all of our shopping journeys. And so the more we can spread it out throughout um, our ecosystem and make it convenient, the better. Um, since we are a resale company, uh, our entire platform is kind of resale as a service. And so we really focus on, on continuing to innovate on Poshmark, where everything is bought and sold um, and circulating around. Um, and we are talking to various folks about how they can get integrated into that system rather than fanning it out elsewhere. Got it. Tell me about, um, like you said, sustainability is buzzing. It's so hot right now. Um, tell me about your, if you're maybe putting that front and center in your marketing, how you're marketing um, across digital channels or maybe other channels, um, traditional channels, how your messaging's changed to really speak to those current consumer behaviors and also, um, yeah, what channels are you focusing on? Well, in terms of the sustainability message, this is something we're still figuring out. Um, it's such a buzzy word, like you said, and there are so many companies and brands that are so quick to kind of add that appendage to their values and in, in, in their brand. Um, and for a company that is built on resale, which is inherently sustainable, uh, we're still figuring out how much we want to integrate that into our explicit branding and, and, and values and things like that, because we're inherently sustainable. So like, how much should we talk about it? Um, so it's something we're thinking about. Uh, but, you know, we as a, a team tend to be uh, very, what we want to be very authentic. That's really important to us. So in this case, we're trying it on and figuring out what, what really makes sense and what, what feels authentic. And so TB, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know when we when we figure out uh, our, our stance there. Um, in terms of marketing, our marketing hasn't really changed. Uh, we lean on multiple channels to 
acquire new users, to engage our existing users where they are. So the channels that we've been in for quite some time are just like mobile advertising. We run TV ads. Uh, we do some PR to reach um, folks like you. And, uh, and we have started to uh, experiment with uh, more community events um, and creator partnerships, um, particularly partnerships that might resonate with Gen Z. So we've done some um, celebrity closets with the K-pop group, Atiz, with uh, Eric Nam and, and many more to really be where our customers are. And so that's something we're experimenting with as well. That's awesome. I would think that you would, um, that influencers and what they're selling on the platform, like, do you lean into that? Do you maybe learn that there are influencers who are selling or maybe um, leverage that um, that relationship? We do. We do. And we have a team that's that's focused on that. But but I'll be honest with you, there are influencers on Poshmark that, that are under the covers. And, and sometimes when we do a partnership with them, they'll tell us, we've been secretly selling on Poshmark for years. <laughs> and it's only now that we reach out to them and, and form that more that relationship with them as an influencer that we find out that them as a human being has been on Poshmark for years because we're one of the best places to to put your closet online. But then when we reach out to them from a more professional relationship, we find out that that they've been on Poshmark for a while. So yeah, it's always uh, really surprising to find out how many people we engage with that are have already been selling on Poshmark. That's so cool. Well, tell me about your kind of I guess next level social approach. I know um, the seller can connect with the directly with with the buyer. Um, it's just different. I would say that's a big differentiator as, as a shopper looking from the outside. Yeah. So one way to think about um, the social part of of Poshmark is part of it is new and part of it is actually really old. So the old part is imagine you go. So you know. I live in California and it's the summer. So there's a lot of farmer's markets, but they would, this would apply if you go into, you know, your local boutique. There's something nice about seeing for me when I buy my carrots or whatever I'm buying at the <laughs> farmer's market, I recognize the person that's selling it to me because I see him or her every week. And when you walk into your local boutique and you're like, what's new? I haven't been here a month. There's something nice about seeing that boutique owner and she's like okay I got this in this is from France this is from this is domestic whatever it is right it's 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 the human connection that that brings the transaction to life otherwise it's just carrots and they're just like a pair of like denim shorts that you're buying right so this is the part that's really old is commerce is not just about the actual transaction it's often about the story behind it how is procured the person who helped you get it, the person who can help you style it, or whatever inspiration comes with it. So Poshmark is built to bring those human connections back to the transaction. Where the innovation comes in is we're taking that, which mostly happens offline, when, as I said, the, 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 there's a trend towards more online transactions. When the online transactions happen outside Poshmark, they're often very sterile. It's often just about the transaction or the price of that transaction. So what the first piece of innovation is we're taking those human relationships and bringing them online. The second thing we're doing is we're enabling our sellers 
to use those interactions to help them de- deepen their relationship or make sales. So an example of that could be like, hey, five people liked my sweater on Poshmark. I'm going to use a tool called Offers to Likers where I'm going to click a button and I'm going to send out five offers to the people who liked my items. And then those people get on their phone a personalized kind of sale for an item they've liked, right? So that's the second wave is use it to, to, to kind of broadcast. And the third phase, which we're in now, is how do we take those broadcasts and scale it, amplify it even further? So an example there is, uh, is a feature called My Shoppers, which is an early development. It's released, but we're still working on, on future iterations of it. And the idea there is if you look at a really, really big company, uh, e-commerce company, they are running on pretty sophisticated CRM systems where the marketing team can say, I want to send an email out to all my new customers and it's going to, there's going to be this campaign. And then a week later, there's going to be this offer. And it's all really complex CRM campaign management, right? We're trying to take that and give it to every single seller on Poshmark. And not only that, but we're going to use social signals. So like I said, if uh, you could use my shoppers to say, I want to message all the people who uh, came to my store in the last week and say, hey, welcome, just for you, I'm going to give a 10% coupon. We don't have this yet, but this is this is the vision, is we can scale one to many to one to many, many. Um, and so those are the types of innovations we're doing in the social world. I mean, it makes a difference. I don't know how many people I've told. I, I was on Poshmark, but I think that I had my account linked to mm, like when my shopping email, I call it, where I, like, I get a lot of like ads and company company things. Anyway, the fact of the matter is I think I forgot my password. I don't know. I signed up because I was looking for something in particular um, and it was linked to my work email. So I did get the notifications oh, no. <laughs> you know, in my face, but I, I kind of loved it where it notified me when the price dropped on something that I had liked or had watched or whatever. Um, and it made me want to buy it. And I'm like, I've told people this before, like, that's really effective. You should do that when a price drops. <laughs> like, It got my attention and made me think, oh, I should buy it now. Anyway, I think it's so smart. You guys are doing some cool things. <laughs> I would say. It, it's like your own little deal dashboard. You can go around and just like all these things for free. You're just going around and be like, I like this. I like that. And then you can just sit back and the system, really it's the sellers, right? But the system will tell you when, if, if you're not wanting to purchase it today and you want it to be cheaper, they can just notify you when it's, when it's ready and at the right price. Pretty great. Um, tell me, so early 2021, when public, congrats, that's a huge deal, but I'm sure it has had a, like an impact in some way. You don't maybe do everything the way you did prior to, um, prior to going public. What, what happened there? How has the company changed? Yes. Well, thank you. It's, it's been in some ways a huge change and in some ways not a change at all. Uh, so, you know, at, at the highest level, nothing has changed. We are still strategically, we're still focused on exactly the same things, which is operating our community and making them at the forefront of everything we do. If if they are successful, we are successful. Um, and 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 they are our business, right? So so that has not changed. Uh, what has changed is 
I mean, honestly, what's changed is our accounting team got bigger because they have to deal with all these compliance things. <laughs> and so we have all these functions that we had not fully built out ahead uh, of time that we have to to really respect now uh, to be a public company. We have to oper- operate in a way um, that means we're compliant with all the rules, blah, blah, blah. So there's a lot of teams that um, have much bigger responsibilities today because we're public. But that's mostly on the finance side. When when we focus on the customer side, there's almost like a, a more intense focus now that we're public. Like we feel like we have even more responsibility to do good by our community and, and really help them thrive. So in that way, honestly, nothing's changed. Nice. We'll talk a little bit more about what's happening in-house. Um, are you guys working from home, company culture, evolution of the workplace? Uh, what are you guys experiencing? So one of the things I really like about, first of all, we did not know what we were doing. Like the world did not know what was happening as we were dealing with the last year or so. But in all of this uncertainty, what we decided to do was um, we need to give our team something to hold on to because everything else is changing. So we said, uh, the first thing is, is before the pandemic, you had to, our headquarters is in California and you had to be a resident of California and work at Poshmark. We quickly figured all of that out and say, work from anywhere. It's okay. We got you work from anywhere because we know the pandemic is forcing you to, to make decisions based on your family, your parents, your kids. Like there's just so much more going on um, now that things are, are volatile. So you can work from anywhere. Um, the second thing we did is, Whatever your living situation is, we're not going to ask you to change it. So we're not going to say you must be back in the office in a month, six months. Like we will not ask you to come back. And we set a date out that's so far because we knew if we set it closer, we'd have to change it because everything is so unpredictable. And that disruption is so distracting for people in a time where there's a global pandemic going on. So instead of forcing people back, what we said is let's take an opposite approach. Once a month, if you're in town and if you want to come into town, we are going to get teams together for a one day on site where we're going to have fun. We're going to meet the people who are just hired during this virtual time where you never got to meet them, maybe except for Zoom. We're going to have lunch together. We're going to have happy hour together. We're going to give presentations on the fun things we're working on. And we're going to give you a reason to come back and it's just for one day. And then let's go back to a virtual world. We call those posh connects and there's one happening every week for various teams. And sometimes we have them for the company and those have been an absolute hit. I have never seen people so excited to come back into the office, (laughs) even diehards who say, I never want to come in the office again. If they come in, you see them smiling by the end of the day and people are realizing the parts of the office they actually miss. And so this is where we're kind of feeling our way into this and just seeing like, how can we get the best of both worlds? How can we give people the flexibility they need, but also give people really a community, which is what the work work office is, so that they feel that they're something, they're part of something bigger and they can connect with their peers and have their their work community show up for them. I love that idea. And are you at the office today? I am not at the office today, but there's a huge posh connect going on, I hear. Uh, I, and then I, Jill, I was telling you earlier, I was on Zoom all day on, on calls 
what I didn't tell you is on Zoom with everybody at the office. (laughs) So really, I should have gone into the office today. Oh, next time. (laughs) Gosh, what would you say is weighing on your mind? What's a challenge you're facing now? I mean, the challenge is, um, the challenge for me and the challenge for us as a company is just how disruptive and volatile our, our macro environment is right now. I mean, we're still in a pandemic. Our economy is not great. We have a war going on. Uh, it seems like everybody hates one another. Um, we've kind of lost our trust in each other. And that's just a really um, volatile environment to be in as a human and a, as a company. And, and so that's honestly what's keeping me up at night. And uh, even more so, it's because I, I know that because of my role, you know, being in charge of seller, seller success, I know that a lot of our sellers are really hurting right now. I know that they're being kind of whipped around by sales due to changes within our system and changes within the macro system. And a lot of them are coming to us and saying that they're really suffering. And so that weighs on me quite a bit. Um, and all I can say is in times like this, you can't, you have to focus on what you, you can control and kind of not let what you can't control keep you up at night. So we are really kind of keeping our heads down and and trying to deliver innovation to help our sellers. We're also starting to get back into our event schedule. So we have an event in LA next week and in New York the week after. And so getting back in front of our sellers so that we can talk to them about what's going on um, is really important. Um, And and yeah, that's what I'm, I'm focused on is delivering and communicating. That's so nice. Um, definitely important. Do you, as a company, um, when, you know, big, worldly, impactful news is happening, is it like, is, is it a new maybe practice or more emphasis on doing so on, I don't know, coming out with your, I guess, your beliefs in terms of what's happening now, or maybe it's just being more messages of comfort or what's been the business um, answer to all of this? There's so many ways in which I can answer that question. Um, So going back to what I, I, I said just a few minutes ago, you can focus on like the macro, which most of it you can't control. Like there's no way myself or Poshmark can control inflation or the war that's going on. Like it's just outside our control. But people here, people on our team, people in our seller community are feeling weight because of these macro things. So that you can control, that you can show up for them and let them know that you understand that these things are going on and it's very volatile. if they, you know, like for Team Posh, tomorrow is what we call Wellness Day. We're giving everybody at Poshmark uh, tomorrow or an equivalent day off because things are crazy and we just need a wellness day every now and then, right? And so that's something we can control to help support and empower our team to do whatever it is they need to re- take an extra day to rejuvenate. For our seller community, we're focused on helping them navigate the storm and uh, and how we in our specific and local way can can help them do that. Uh, so I guess to answer your question is focus on what you control control and have empathy for the rest. Right on. I like it. Well, let's end it on a happier note. <laughs> what can you tell me? 
uh, tell me a seller success story. What would blow my mind? (laughs) Oh my gosh. I have too many for you. I can't pick just one. Um, I can't, Jill. Was there a, was there a, that's the one question (laughs) I can answer any question you want about Mark. Singling out one story is the one where, uh, that's a harder one for me. I, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm so excited. We have our first Posh Fest in real life uh, this September. We had to go virtual um, recently. And I know a lot of people are hesitant to come out. And for, for good reasons, whether it's COVID or, you know, it's just not fitting in your lifestyle. But I am so excited to be there and to have the conversations with people and just for, you know, two days just feel like, um, we are in a, in a safe place where we can trust one another and, and count on the humanity that, uh, I know is inside all of us. And so instead of a specific story, why don't I share with you just like a, a group stories, I cannot wait for that group to come together because I do think that all of us need, could use just a little extra boost in, um, believing in each other and believing in humanity right now. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Sounds amazing. Well, Tracy, thank you so much for being here. This was so fun. Thank you, Jill. Always a pleasure. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.